you want to turn in your Bibles this morning, I'm going to look at a couple of passages. The first one is in Genesis chapter 28, and then we'll turn over to Genesis chapter 32 and look at another story we looked this morning at the life of Jacob. So while you're turning there in your Bibles, let, let me just plug in right there, man. If you didn't raise your hand that you were going to be there on Thursday night, I hope you just didn't hear what he said. Or may, maybe your shoulder's a little sore and you weren't able to get your hand up. You need to be here Thursday night. We're, we're going to gather down here at, at Camp Hutch. It doesn't matter. I don't think it's supposed to be raining Thursday. It's supposed to be raining Thursday. If it is, bring your Gore-Tex. It doesn't matter if it's cold. We're going to build a fire. We're going to have some groceries. But until men become men, men of God, we can't expect to see any changes around here. Until men become men, men of God, we can't expect to see a church grow. We can't expect to see God use us to reach this community. Until men become men, men of God, we can't expect to be usable vessels. You can't expect your home to be a godly home. You can't expect your children to be godly children. You can't expect your life to be a godly life. Men, God holds you accountable. You are to be the spiritual leader of your home. And here's the plug in. You cannot be a spiritual leader in your home without a life of prayer. You cannot be a man of God without a life of prayer. So we're going to talk about a life of prayer on Thursday night. I'm not sure exactly how many weeks we'll do. I know we're going to do three, and then I'll be gone for a week. And we may do a few more after that. But what we will do is start this Thursday night. And men, I'm asking you. I'm asking you to be a man make a difference. I'm asking you to be here and let's be here, and we're just going to look at prayer and look at the life of prayer and look at what God expects out of us in our life. Amen? Amen. So if we did a hand count now, it would be twice as many, right? Turn in your Bibles. There in chapter number 28 of the book of Genesis. The Bible says in verse number 10 that Jacob went out from Beersheba and went to Haran, and he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set, and he took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows. He lay down in that place to sleep, and he dreamed. And behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac. That's important that you make note of what he says right there. The land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it thee into thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west and to the east. And to the north and to the south. And in thee in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now 20 years later if you want to turn over to chapter number 32. Twenty years later, we find Jacob again in a place called Jabbok. And here in Jabbok, the Bible says, beginning in verse number 23, that he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. When he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. 
He said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men and hast prevailed. Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. I want to bring a message this morning entitled, Are You Following the Game Plan? God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for every person in this place, God. Thank you for the ability to be able to be here this morning. I pray, God, that you'd move in this place. Lord, we thank you for your sweet Holy Spirit. I thank you for your presence. But, God, each one of us come in here in need of something, God. We, we come in here and searching for something from you, God. I pray you do what only your Spirit can do. Speak to everybody in this place. Each one according to their needs, God. I pray you'd move in a mighty way, God. I pray you'd break what needs breaking and mend what needs mending. I pray you'd help us to leave here to change people for your glory. We love you, thank you, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things that makes a football team, a great football team, is a great coach. Alabama does not have, put your hand down, boy. I didn't say that about Alabama. Alabama is not one of the best football teams for the past few years in the country because they have better players. I assure you, they took the field two times in a row against the Georgia Bulldogs, and I'm telling you, both times we had better players than y'all did. Both times we lost in the second half. Hear me out. Pay attention. What makes a great football team is a great coach. And what a great coach has the ability to do is to know his players. He knows their strengths. He knows their weaknesses. He knows their speed. He knows their abilities. He knows their mindset. A great coach knows his own team and their abilities. And what makes him a great coach is that on the week before a game, he has the ability to watch the films of the other team. He can watch the films of the team that he's going to play the following weekend. And here's what he can see. He can see that they've got, they got players faster than his. He can see that they have wide receivers that his secondary can't cover. He can see they have some players that are bigger and stronger. And he can see they have some defensive linemen that his offensive linemen cannot block on their own. What he can see is that they have some strengths that are above that of his own team. So he has to develop a game plan. And, and if this person is too big for this person to block, then he'll double-team this person. If this person is too fast for his guy to cover, then he'll double-team this person. But in order to win the game, he has to develop a game plan to take what he has and overcome what he's going to face. Great coaches, and this is where the Alabama comes in, they have the ability to adapt at halftime. Regardless of where the game plan is going, I mean, what coach changes your number one quarterback in the national championship game at halftime? One does. A year later, takes the one that he changed from, moves him and changes back to the other one and does it again. See, a great coach has the ability to come in at halftime and assess the situation and see how the game plan is working and then make modifications. But you have to understand 
that the other coach is also going to make halftime adjustments. So a great coach anticipates what they will do and then makes adjustments accordingly. Amen? I spent five weeks teaching that God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for Everly's life. Miss Everly Jean didn't get there by accident. God has a design plan for her, just like, she does, just like God does for each and every one of us. It's okay to say amen, right? The only way a game plan works is for every player to follow the plan. The only way the game plan works is for everybody on the team to stick to the plan that the coach has laid out. Last week I talked about broken things and how God is a restorer of that which was broken. I brought that little Hummel piece in that, that I had knocked off the counter and broken. And we, we looked and talked at her a little bit and about how sometimes we're broken and it's God is the only one that can put us back together. But can I tell you that sometimes it is God that has to do the breaking. Sometimes it's God that has to break us because until we've been broken, we can be of no real value to God. As long as we have any form of pride, as long as we have any form of self-existence, self-ability, self-worth, as long as we have things in us, we can be of no real value. Until we've been broken, we think we're something in this world. Until we've been broken, we think we're like that hummel. We think we are every collector's perfect find. We have no scratches and no dents, and we are still in the box and have the certificate of authenticity. Until we've been broken, we think we're the piece that makes the house. We think we ought to be the centerpiece in the foyer so that when everybody comes in, we're the piece that they see. We're the thing that makes the house beautiful. We're the thing that makes everything different. But until we have been broken and put together by the Son, we are of no use to the Father. Sometimes. Is God that has to break us. So in our text here this morning, we see that Jacob has two encounters with God. The first one is at a place called Bethel. Bethel is where we see God introduces himself as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. This is a place called Bethel where Jacob met God. But the second one is at a place called Jabbok. And there we see that's where he wrestled with God. Everybody needs a personal relationship with God. Everybody must have a Bethel experience. A Bethel experience is where you become a Christian. A Bethel experience is where you meet God. It's where you surrender your life to God. It's where you give things to God and ask Jesus Christ to come in and save your soul. Bethel is where you become a Christian. But every Christian needs a Jabbok experience because that's where we become a servant. See, every person needs to have that Bethel experience so that we become a believer. Here, Jacob becomes a believer at Bethel. God says, I'm the God of Abraham, thy father, and of Isaac. But the next time you meet him, you find that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and who? And Jacob. Everybody needs the Bethel experience to become a son. At Bethel, Jacob became a son. But at Jabbok, he became a servant. See, at Bethel, Jacob died to his sin. But at Jabbok, he died to himself. 
At Bethel, Jacob left there with a little bump in his step. He's feeling pretty good. He's seen the ladder. He's seen the angels ascending and descending, and he's seen the Lord at the top of it. And he leaves there with a little bump in his step. But at Jabbok, he left with a limp after wrestling with God. Everybody needs a Bethel experience. Everybody needs to have that time when you know that you gave your life to Christ. Everybody needs to remember when and where you gave your life to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you do not remember when you went to Bethel, then you've probably never been. Because you will never forget the day you surrendered yourself to Christ. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. You know, for years I knew that I got saved. It was probably about 11.50 in the morning because it was at a Southern Baptist church. And it was during invitation time. And he was a lot better than I am because he usually got out by 12 o'clock. So it was a little bit before 12 o'clock that I would have known I got saved. And I knew that it was the first Sunday of January in 1986 just because of the events that took place to get me to that day. But for years I couldn't remember the date. But I was no less saved. The only reason I know the date now is because a few years later we were at a Cracker Barrel and they have those old nostalgic calendars. And I looked back at a 1986 calendar and saw that the date was January the 5th, 1986. I remember when my son and I pulled over on the side of the road in a pickup truck, went down through the ditch, come back up and sat on the side of the road. I don't remember the date. Do you remember the date? I don't even remember what day of the week it was. I don't even know where we were going. Huh? It was a Saturday. See, he knows more about it than I do. But that's because it was his day. We're riding down the road talking about the Lord. He says he wants to be saved. It doesn't matter if you don't know the date. But there is an experience. And you have to know the experience. You have to remember when the Holy Spirit drew you. You have to remember the day that you surrendered your life to Christ. And if you don't remember the day you surrendered your life to Christ, you probably never have. Because you can't be changed, you can't have the Holy Spirit move in you, set up residence inside of you, and make all things pass away, and you don't know it. There has to be a day when habits had to start breaking, when curse words had to stop coming out of your mouth, when life-changing things started happening, and everything in you became different, and you knew it. And every time you did something wrong, there's something inside of you that told you, you know you're not supposed to do that. There was some guidance, and there was some help. And if you do not have that day in your memory, then you don't have that day at all. Every Christian needs a Bethel experience to be a child of God. You may not know the date, but you need to remember the time. So it's here at Bethel where Jacob said, Surely, surely the Lord is in this place. Surely the Lord is here. But every Christian needs a Jabbok experience. See, Bethel will prepare you to go to heaven. But Jabbok, will prepare you to live on this earth. You're not just here. You're part of the game plan. God has a game plan for our life. See, Bethel is your whosoever will. Bethel is your whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But Jabbok is your I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by Faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's a different experience. There's a time when you ask Christ to save you. 
then there's a time when you surrender everything to become a servant. Everybody needs to go to heaven. Everybody needs that Bethel experience. Everybody has to have that day of salvation. But as we spent five weeks studying, God made you to be you. God made you to be His. God made you to use you according to His plan for His perfect will. But God cannot use you or me until we have been broken of self. At Bethel, Jacob came face to face with God, but at Jabbok, he came face to face with himself. James said in chapter 1 and verse 22, Be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. See, Jabbok is where you behold yourself in a mirror. Not a mirror to hear, but the mirror being the word of God that you size yourself Size yourself up against what is righteous. Size yourself up against what is holy. You size yourself up. Listen, anybody around you is not your measuring stick. Well, I may be bad, but I'm better than so-and-so. How do you look beside Jesus? Well, I may miss sometimes at church, but I'm here more often than so-and-so. How do you look standing beside Jesus? I may have made some mistakes, and I may not tithe as much as I should. I may not do as much for missions, but... But I'm better than so-and-so. How do you look beside Jesus? Because if you're looking in any other mirror than this one, you're looking in the wrong mirror. If you're standing beside any measuring stick beside Jesus, you're standing beside the wrong measuring stick. Because this is your mirror, and we have to know how do we look beside Jesus. Jesus is looking to do something in us. A few weeks ago, as we were looking at how God made each of us with a plan... The second of those five weeks, we looked at Jeremiah 29, 11, where God said, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. You, you can't know God's plan until you've had that Jabbok experience. Once that you've realized that this life isn't about you, this life is about him. And it's about him living in us and about him living through us. Until you've been to Jabbok and been broken of, of, of ourselves, until we've surrendered everything to God, we're not ready to live for God. I talked about it the other night at the revival, at the close of the revival. Many times we come up with these ideas and many times we come up with, with these different ministries and ways to help people and all these things that we want to do and, and we work and we get them all into place and then we have them there and we think just because it's a ministry and just because it's of the church and God ought to bless it. I mean, we worked hard and we put it together and so we start doing these ministries and now we ask God to bless it. But instead of asking God to help me do your will, we make plans and then ask God to help us do our plan. See, once we've been to Jabbok and surrendered everything, instead of asking God to bless what we're doing, we'll simply do what we know God will bless because we'll be led by the Holy Spirit. If you remember about four weeks ago as part of that 
Um, God made you to be you, and God made you to be his. And part of that study, I, I talked about Michelangelo and, and a statue that he was making. And somebody come up and asked him, what was he doing? And he's sitting there knocking off chunks of marble, and they're falling to the ground. And they asked him what he's doing, and he said, I'm making a statue of David. And, and pieces falling to the ground and hammering, chiseling, working. And they said, well, why do you keep breaking off so many pieces of the marble? And he said, I'm getting rid of anything that doesn't look like David. That's what God's doing in our life. Sometimes we have to be broken in order to bear the image. Paul Hutchins, great illustration, great illustration. <clears throat> Probably 15 years ago, I don't know, many, many years ago, Paul and I were talking, and he was talking about he loved working with children. I'm sure I've shared this with you before, but it fits great right here. We're talking about broken things and why you have to be broken. Paul talked about loving working with children. And he said, one of the reasons I love working with children, he said, people are like concrete. When, when the concrete's young, when the concrete's new, when the concrete is wet, it's easily formed. You, you can take and make a form on the ground. You can make a shape, and you can pour it, and you can form it into whatever you're trying to do. And you can write on top of it. You can write things in it. You can put designs on it. When the concrete is young, when the concrete is wet, the concrete is easily shaped. It's easily molded. you remember telling me this? He said, but when we get older, we're like concrete. We set up and we get hard. And once we get hard, we can still be shaped. It just takes a lot of work. See, you can go out in your driveway and it's shaped like a square. You can change the image of that if you want to. You can write some things in it if you want to. You can change the way it looks if you want to. But you're going to have to get a hammer and a chisel. You're going to have to get a jackhammer. It just becomes harder. It just takes more work. Some of us are older and set in our ways. The reason it's so hard and the reason God has to break is because we've set up in the wrong image. And God's just trying to make us in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's having to work on us. Here in our text this morning, 20 years have passed between Bethel and Jabbok. 20 years between salvation and usefulness. I pray every week, God speak to me before you can speak through me. I told you last week I couldn't write a message on Friday. I wrote the same message on Saturday that I was trying to write on Friday, but I hadn't been broken of some things yet. I hadn't broken the figurine. I hadn't gotten the call about Wayne. I hadn't gotten the call about Lincoln. I hadn't gotten some things yet. I wasn't broken yet. I wasn't in the right position. And I asked God to speak to me about a message before you can speak through me because I need it to be about me. I need it to be me personally. It needs to shape change mold make something better in me so as i was praying this becomes a very personal message for me as i was studying it because i told you i was saved january the 5th 1986 in january of 2006 i went on my first mission trip 20 years after i've got saved and if you've ever heard any of my testimony then you know that that mission trip changed me forever it didn't just change the way i wanted to serve it didn't just change what i wanted to do different it changed everything in me and the thing that it changed the most is the way i love people i just love people i never had that before i don't care what color you are i don't care what language you speak 
I don't care where you come from. I don't care about your background. I don't care how bad you were. I don't care about your drug habits of the past. I don't care you're an alcoholic. I just love people. I never had that before. That trip changed that because I fell in love with a group of people that were a lot darker complected than me and spoke a different language than me. And God taught me how to love them with everything in me. I've spent every year of my life since then trying to help be a blessing to that group of people. 20 years after I got saved, I went on that first mission trip. I thought about the 20 years prior to that. <coughs> For nine years, Robin and I drove 55 miles one way to church. We lived right over here at Hogansville, and we drove to Fayetteville every Sunday for nine years. In 1995, God said, move your family. And we joined Faith Baptist Church right over in this building. God said, move here. We moved down here in 97. We started doing Judgment Journey. First couple of years, I drove a tractor and carried people down. And they used to play. I was in the crowd a couple of years, and then I spent a few years right up here in the corner running spotlights and sounds and the things that we used to do from the corner. I tithed every week. I, I supported missions every month. But you've heard me say many times, when I look back, I feel like I wasted 20 years. I, I feel like I sat on the bench for 20 years waiting to see, waiting to be what, what God will see. See, God can and will save you in an instant. If you've never trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you can take care of that. That fast today. God will save you the very moment you realize you're a sinner and want to be saved. But it may take years to develop you. He sent Moses over on the other side of the Midian Desert for 40 years to develop him before sending him back to the place that he brought him from to start with. Sometimes it just takes years to develop. Look back with me there for a minute at the text. The angel is talking and he says it's getting light. Let me go. Jacob says, no. No, I'm not, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I, I'm, I'm not going to let go of you. This rest of the match ain't going to stop. I'm not turning loose until you've blessed me. And, and here's, here's what he said. What is your name? See, now, if you go down to the bank and you need to borrow some money and you want to take out a loan, they're going to ask you, first question, what is your full name? You want to buy a house and you go, look, you find the one you want. You sit down, the first thing I'm going to do is take out a piece of paper, and it's going to start with, what is your full name? Go to buy a car. You go all dealerships you want. It doesn't matter which one you go to. When you find the car you like and you sit down and you want to get an auto loan, they're going to ask you, what is your name? And then they're going to take your name. And they're going to put your name in that computer because your name brings up your past. Your name brings up your history. It brings up who you have been and who you have not been. Who you paid back and who you didn't. See, the name Jacob means hill catcher. It means trickster or supplanter, which is to overthrow or to undermine. He asked Jacob, what is your name? Because it brings up his past. It brings up his lies. It brings up his deception when he deceived his father. It brings up that he is a thief when he stole the birthright from his brother. The angel says, what is your name? Jacob is now face to face with himself. 
Jacob, the liar, the trickster, the heel catcher, the angel says, that's not your name anymore. That's who you used to be. But now your name is going to be Israel, prince with God. It means to prevail. It means to have power to rule as God. See, 20 years ago, Jacob met God. But today, God has broken Jacob of himself. On Tuesday night, Dr. Joe Arthur preached from Genesis chapter 41, verse 52, in the name of the second called Ephraim, for God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. God cannot fully bless you until he has completely broken you. See, he can't use you until he's broken you of the things that you think you can do yourself. See, if you think your health is all that and you work out and you're physically fit, if all your trust is in your health and you think that's where you're the strongest, that's what God's going to have to break in you. If you think, I got a good job, I make plenty of money, I don't need this, I don't care, you mess with me, I'll just go somewhere else, I got money, I'll do this, I'll buy another. If, if your trust is in your money, God can't use you until he has broken you of that. He has to break you of the things that you think that you are the strongest so that you understand your weakness and that he is at all you have and he is all you're ever going to need. It is in our brokenness that God can bless us. That little piece that I had with me last week, that little Hummel, that little grandma's girl, that little figurine that I had knocked off the shelf and, and broken, I was thinking I was on 20 years. She's probably been in the family close to 20 years. We've had her a long time. She's been a part of the household for 20 years. She, she's been a piece on a shelf. She's been something there within the family, within our house for 20 years. As far as I know, in 20 years, I've never once touched her. As far as I know, in 20 years, I never put a hand on her. It wasn't until she was broken that I took a special interest in her. It wasn't until she was shattered on the floor that I began to pick up the pieces and hold all the broken pieces in my hand. It wasn't until she was broken that I began to care for her. And as long as she was broken, I was holding her in my hand. As long as she was broken, I was putting her back together. As long as she was broken, I was holding her there until the glue dried for each piece. As long as she was broken, I was working, trying to get each little piece right back into the place where it goes. Don't be discouraged by your brokenness. When it seems like things are falling apart, when it seems like your world is upside down, when you feel like your life is broken, the master has you in his hand. It is in your brokenness where he'll pick you up. It is in your brokenness where he'll begin to put you back together. It is in your brokenness when you're in the hand of the master that you have the undivided attention of the father working on you. He is restoring our brokenness. That's when God sits down with us and we begin to see ourselves for what we've been. And God says, but I've got a better plan. Let me show you who you're going to be. I have a plan for you. Plans to prosper you. That's God's plan for our life. He says, I have a new name for you. It's written down in glory. I have a new name. But while you're on this earth, I have a plan. 
I was, I was just thinking, that little figurine that I had, I told you those Hummels, some of them are worth a lot of money. To the world, she was worth a lot of money. But I broke her. Now to the world, she's worthless. But to my family and I in the house, because of how we obtained her, my mom gave her to us. So because of how she was obtained, she is priceless. Even though she's been broken. As long as you're beneficial to the world, as long as you have your health, as long as you have your money, as long as you can be beneficial to the world, you're valuable to them. Let's see how many friends you have when your money's gone. See how many friends show up when you can no longer be of any good to them, but you need them. See how many friends you still have when you need them. I see the relevance in the little figurine. I see that. As, as long as we're full of ourselves and in mint condition, the world thinks we're valuable. We're really nothing in the hand of God. But once we have become broken, we're no longer of any value to the world at all. But it's at that moment that God sees us as priceless. Because God paid a great price to obtain you and I. God has a game plan. He's got a game plan for your life. He's got a game plan for my life. He's got a game plan for this country. He's got a game plan. We pray God help us reach this community. He has a plan to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That video that we were playing a minute ago, about three or four minutes later, if you got the second part, let's look at another part of this video. Every coach wants to know, are you following the game plan? I'll give this simple note. When I was playing football, my coach would always say, remember what's coming. Play in light of what's coming. You see, every player would take the field on Sunday when I was playing in the NFL thinking about Monday. We weren't thinking about Sunday. While we were playing, we were thinking about Monday. You know why? Because Monday is when you had to watch the film. Monday was accountability day. Monday, the head coach would pull down the screen, turn on the overhead projector, and pick up his red pointer and point you out. And he would say, sit down. All I want to know is if you were bearing the image of the logo that was on your helmet based on the playbook that you were given, or if you were out there just doing your own thing. Don't answer that. We're about to watch it right now. I want to make sure that we all know what my mom knew very well. That in all of our cases, one day the game will be over. And our coach, God the Father, is going to pull down his cosmic screen. He's going to turn on his Holy Ghost overhead projector and pick up his blood of Jesus red pointer, and he's going to have one question. He's going to want to know, were you living your life based on the uniform that I gave you in the sacrifice of my son based on the playbook, the word of God that's absolutely perfect that I have given you, or were you just out there doing your own thing? Don't answer that. We're about to watch it right now.
Everybody has a reckoning day. Everybody. There's two reckoning days. One of them is the great white throne of judgment. Thank God. If you're a child of God, you have no part in that reckoning day. Because on that day, everybody that stands before the great white throne of judgment will be condemned to the lake of fire, outer darkness, gnashing of teeth for all of eternity. On that day, everybody at that accountability day, God will show them the film of the day where they sat in a place, maybe even something like this, and rejected the gift of God of the Lord Jesus Christ. And on that day, he will say, Depart from me, ye that worketh iniquity. I never knew you. And they will be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. Thank God we won't be at that reckoning day. But don't think you don't have your day coming. Every Christian will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every Christian will stand there in the things you have and have not done in this life, in this body, as a child of God. Every Christian will stand there and God will reveal his plan for your life and you will see on the film whether you did or did not do what God wanted you to do. Were you or were you not what God wanted you to be? Those things that you think you do in secret, those things that you think is your little secret and you're getting away, you're not getting away with nothing. Reckoning day is coming and the film's going to be played. I spent five weeks on God made you to be you. He made you awesome. He made you with talent. He made you with power. He made you with ability. He made you with voices. He made you with sight. He made you with hands. He made you with ideas. God created you in his own image and in his own likeness. And God made you to use you to reach this world. The question is, are you following the game plan? Are you living the life that God has in store for you or are you just hanging on to the fence and just staying close enough to jump to either side anytime you want to? On Wednesday night, at the end of the revival, I talked about our prayer. I said, we've been praying as a church. God help us to reach this community. God help us to reach our hometown with the gospel of Jesus Christ. God use us. God use us. There's people dying and going to hell every day. Lord, may they trip over our dead bodies to get there. Help us, God, to get out on the streets. Help us reach this community. Help us tell a lost and dying world about Jesus Christ. Help us, God. We're not waiting on God. God's waiting on us. There's a game plan. All we have to do is surrender to the plan. God already has the plan in place. But we have to be everything that God wants us to be. Are you serving God with everything you have? Or are you holding back things and you know? Has God given you things to do? And you say, nah, that's just not really me, Lord. That, that's not in my personality. I'll tell you this. If that's not your thought, you think, yeah, I can do that. I can do that. Yeah, that's perfect. That's me right there. I can do that. That's probably not from God. Because God will give you things that you can't fully do on your own because he wants to do them through you and he wants you to trust him. You go ahead and stand with me this morning. It's a simple question. I can tell you this with a full certainty. At least at this moment, tomorrow is not film day for me. At least at this moment, 
I have not died, and Jesus Christ has not come back and gotten the church. So at least, but the day ain't over yet either. But at least at this moment, tomorrow is not film day for me, and I'm very thankful for that. See, I, I got some things I need to improve on. I got some things I need to do better. I got some thoughts I need to think more pure. I got some studying I need to get done. I, I got some people I need to love on. I got some things I need to fix. And I ain't the only one in the house. I'm not the only one in here that's not ready for film day. There's some things on film that God gave us to do that we just really didn't feel like doing that. So we opted not to. See, now is the time that we have to get things right. Now is the time you have to change your film. Now is the time you have to get things under the blood. Now is the time you have to surrender things to God and get things right and change your film. The film's not etched. There are some things in your past that fall under your name. You don't have to watch. You can get them under the blood of Jesus, but you've got to surrender your life. You've got to become what God wants you to be. If you want the bad things erased in the film, you've got to become the things. You've got to be right in what was wrong. So you've got to be what God wants you to be and not be what God says don't be. Altars are open. I don't believe I'm the only one in here that says, God, I want you to help me be what you want me to be. I want to be usable. I want to be a usable vessel. I want to be held in your hand. God, if you have to break me, this is a scary prayer right here. But if you have to break me to use me, then break me. But the only reason I can pray if you have to break me is break me is because I know if you break me, you're the hand that's going to hold me. I know if you break me, you're the one that's going to pick me up. I know if you break me, you're the one that's going to put me back together. I know if you break me from the image that I am, you're the one that's going to put me back together in the image of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, if you have to break me to get rid of me, then break what needs to be broken. But I want to be a usable vessel. I want God to be able to look down on my life and smile. I want to be pleasing to the one that paid my sin debt on Calvary's cross. I want to be pleasing to the pleasing to the one that loves me so much that he died for me. God, I just want to serve you. And I'm asking you to help me surrender everything. Everything that is in me. Help me surrender everything to you. I just want to be in the game plan. The game plan involves the entire team. The game plan has a part for every individual on the team. And the only way it works is for everybody on the team to surrender to the plan, to play within the plan. You get out there doing your own thing, you cost the team. God says, I have a plan for you. My plans are to prosper you. My plans are to use you. Let me ask you this morning. Heads about, eyes are closed. All of you are already praying anyway. How many of you could say, I thank God that I've been to Bethel. I thank God for the day I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. I know that I'm saved, born again, child of God. If I died today, I'd go to heaven because of what Jesus Christ did for me. 
and I've accepted the gift. You slip your hand up and say, I know, because of what Christ did for me. That's the reason I'd go to heaven. It's all about Jesus. I've been to Bethel. I've met the Lord, and I've surrendered my life. Thank you. Put your hands down. If you're in here this morning, and you wanted to raise your hand, but you couldn't, you say, I want to go to heaven, but I don't know that I will. I can tell you straight up, if you don't know, nobody else does. It's between you and God. You and God are the only two people in this place that know the position of your heart. If you've surrendered to Christ, you know that. And if you haven't, you know that. There's a reckoning day coming. Do you want to change that today? God will save you in an instant. Are you willing to confess your sins with your own mouth? The Bible says it must be a confession of sin. It's not a magic poem. It's not a a magic prayer is you surrendering to Christ are you willing to say Lord I am a sinner are you willing to ask him Lord come into my heart forgive me of my sins and save my soul see to be honest if your heart says that you were saved before you ever started speaking it with your mouth because it's not about the words of your mouth but the attitude of your heart if you've trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior this morning you're just as much a child of God as anybody in this place. Not because of works, lest any man should boast, but because of what Jesus Christ did for you. Because of the free gift of God. Because you've trusted in Christ. You've accepted the gift. God says, I have your name written down. I have a new name written for you. 